Hello, everyone. I welcome again to Refuge Fellowship. We are so happy you could join us this afternoon. So why don't we pray and then we'll get into God's word together. Father God, I just thank you so much for this time you've given us to study your word and for taking us through this book of Acts. Lord, I just pray you'd bless our time this afternoon. I pray you'd be glorified in our midst. And we just invite your Holy Spirit's presence here, God. Uh, speak to our hearts. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. Now, we've been in Acts for almost a little over a month now. And if you remember the past two weeks, we've been in chapter 2. So we're going to finish that up today. Now, last week, if you remember, Pastor Aaron was going through Peter's sermon, which began in verse 19 and stretched all the way to verse 40, right? And Peter and all the apostles, right, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit had just occurred. The disciples were in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit was outpoured. It was a promise that Jesus gave to his disciples, right, before he ascended into heaven. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And we know the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our comforter. He convicts us, but above all else, he is God. He is God living in us. So Peter spoke a message explaining Old Testament prophecies to the multitude, and he explained it to them, right? He spoke about repentance, and he brought a message proclaiming that Jesus Christ was Lord, that Jesus Christ was the coming Messiah that the people of Israel and really the whole world had been waiting for. He spoke to the crowd and he told them, you need to repent, you need to be baptized, and you need to receive the Holy Spirit. So we're going we're gonna to pick it up in verses 40, and we're going to look at the rest of the chapter today. So let me give you some context before we get into this. Verse 40, Peter is still giving this message to the multitude. He's still speaking to them. Right. And he's continuing to minister to their hearts. And we're going to see in these verses, we're going to see how the early church operated, how they lived and what we can learn from them as a church body and as an individual believer in Jesus Christ today. So let's go ahead and we'll pick it up in verses 40 and 41. It says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. These are incredible verses, and I think, first and foremost, we have to remember Peter is giving this message through the power of the Holy Spirit. I find this so interesting because Peter used to be a fisherman before Jesus called him, right? And fishermen back in these days for the Jews, it was very low, low on the pyramid, so to speak, right? They were very poor. Most of the time, fishermen had no education. They didn't know how to read or write. And as a matter of fact, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, right? Let's look at what it says there. It says, now when the Pharisees saw the boldness of Peter and John and saw that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. So it's amazing, right? Peter was a man who was uneducated, untrained in the law. And in this chapter, we see Peter explaining Old Testament prophecies and interpreting them. It's amazing. And the point is, Peter was depending upon the Holy Spirit here. And here's the thing, any church or ministry that wants to grow, that wants to prosper, it starts with dependence on the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter was doing. Peter was inadequate on his own. He didn't possess the abilities. He couldn't do it. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to do so. And I hope that encourages you because I know that encourages me. God will never call us to do something that he won't equip us to carry out and do. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit in us. So verse 40 tells us that Peter continued to testify and exhort the people. And I love the word testify. 
Because it means to bear witness of something, right? And Peter was bearing witness to these people about Jesus Christ. But here's the thing about bearing witness to someone. If you're going to bear witness, you need to first spend time with that person, right? You can't bear witness to someone that you never spend time with, that you have no sensible clue about. And Peter did that. Peter's life was committed to Jesus. He lived for Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. He loved Jesus. And because of this, he was able to bear witness to these people. And I think that's a great message for all of us, as we are all called to bear witness and testify of Jesus Christ. We cannot give what we do not have. If we're to bear witness of Jesus, it starts at his feet. We have to be seeking Jesus every day. Now, Peter's exhorting these people. To exhort something means to declare or call for something. And Peter here was calling for the multitudes to truly believe on Jesus. And watch this as verse 41 tells us, or verse, and verse 40, to be saved from this perverse generation. That's fascinating. The phrase perverse generation, it means a warped or crooked time, right? It describes the world as a place of evil that values evil above good. A world that hates God and does the work of the devil. This is what Peter was calling the church out of. And what, what, a, what a word for all of us today. We are called to be separate from this world. This is what Jesus prayed to the Father for. And we're not going to turn there, but John 17, 15 through 19, Jesus started to pray to the Father and he said, Father, keep them from this world. I don't pray that you take them out of it, but keep them from it. Right? We're called to live separately. We're in this world, but we're not called to be of it. We can't be conforming to sin and conforming to the patterns of this world. So verse 41 is an amazing verse. It says, Some, those who received the word gladly were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. It's amazing. This sermon, this message that Peter gave resulted in 3,000 people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Right? They listened to this word with joy. They rejoiced. And there was great growth in the body of Jesus Christ. And this, this is the same principle for us as a church today. If we want to see growth, if we want to see people saved and come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we have to realize that we can't draw or lead anyone to Christ on our own. All right? Peter depended upon the Holy Spirit, and because he allowed the Holy Spirit to use him as his vessel, as his tool, as his instrument, 3,000 people were saved. It has nothing to do with us. It has to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. We just have to be faithful and obedient as Peter was. So let's go into verse 42 here. There's so much in this verse, so let's get into it. Verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So we see in this verse, we see many signs that describe a healthy church, right? Some traits that describe whether or not the church is operating in a healthy fashion or not. Now, it's fascinating, right? As individuals, as human beings, our bodies often give us signs of whether or not we're healthy. For example, if I have a healthy heart rate, it's a good sign that I'm in good health. Now, if my heart is skipping beats and it's going all over the place and I'm really short-breathed, that's a good sign that I'm not in good health and I should probably go get checked out, right? If I'm constantly tired and weary, it could be a sign that my body's telling me, hey, maybe I'm not getting enough sleep. Maybe I'm not eating enough. Maybe I'm not drinking enough, Right? point is, our body gives us signs of whether or not we're healthy. And it's the same principle for the church. The church should be, there should be evident signs of whether or not the church is healthy. So we're going to look at four main ones in verse 42 that Luke describes the early church doing. So let's get right into it. But first and foremost, it said that they continued steadfastly. 
I want to draw your attention to this word steadfastly. This word steadfastly means to be devoted to something. If I'm steadfast in something, it means that I am persevering in something that I'm devoted to. It doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter how, how, you know, maybe depleting it is for myself. I'm going to continue in it. That's what steadfast means. And you know what? They did this daily. Jesus Christ was not a part-time job for the early church, right? He wasn't a hobby to the church. He wasn't an emotion to the church. He wasn't a chore for the church. It wasn't an exclusive activity on Sunday, right? The church didn't gather together one day of the week and be like, yes, Jesus, woo, and then go out living a sinful life every other day of the week. That's not what they did. It was a daily lifestyle. They were steadfast in the faith 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? It was a lifestyle to them. Now back to this word steadfastly. In the Greek language, it means a word to persevere despite your hardships and despite the challenges you endure. You know, this was a timely word for me this week because there's so many times that I just want to throw up my hands. So many times I want to throw the towel in, right? And just give up. I can't do this anymore. But to continue steadfast means we persevere in God's calling for us no matter how hard it is. These early church, they were following Jesus no matter what. They were not going to give up their faith in the Lord. And it's fascinating. If you read church history and you read up through you know, the time of the church being formed and the time of it growing, it's some brutal stuff. The early church endured a lot. Romans were ruling. You'd have a lot of Roman emperors who hated the Christians. There's a lot of persecution. There would be dispersions. They would have to leave their homeland. They endured a lot, but you know what? They were steadfast in their faith. They weren't giving up because times got hard for them. And it's the same for us. Now, the devil is so good at this. He's so good at taking our current circumstances and our current situations and making us think that it's a sign that it's not God's calling in our life, right? Maybe I'm sick, and I'm like, well, if I'm sick, maybe maybe God's not calling me here. Maybe you're in ministry, your entire family gets sick, and you're like, well, you know what? Man, maybe God's not calling me here. I can't do this. Why am I, why am I enduring this sickness? Why am I enduring these hardships? Why am I enduring this persecution? But don't believe the lies of the enemy. Continuing steadfast in the faith means we don't give up on our faith in Jesus. We don't walk away from the calling of God in our lives because of hardships and trials. This early church, they set a great example for us. Right? And so many times people want to come to Jesus for an emotional experience. They want to hear, right? They want to hear that life is great and we're never going to have persecution. We're never going to have trials. Right? God wants me to be rich. He wants me to live in a big house and have a nice car. But that's not the gospel, is it? Right? The gospel is not always going to be a soothe, sailing, easy walk of faith. It's going to be challenging at times. But you know what? This home, this earth is not our home. And we have to remember that. We have to be steadfast in the faith. Now, what did they steadfastly follow? That's the question. Well, look what it says in verse 42 again. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, we got to be careful with this here, right? Because when I read this, Apostles' Doctrine, you might be thinking, oh, they were following the teaching of men, right? They were steadfastly following the teachings of men and what men said, but that's not the case here. Because the Apostles' Doctrine refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. The doctrine that the Apostles taught was the Word of God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? They taught that Jesus Christ is the only way to everlasting life. These early believers, they continued in this doctrine. They weren't following a movement. They weren't following a philosophy. They weren't following the teaching of men. 
They were following what Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit taught. That's what they were following after. And we got to be careful that we, we do the same thing. We follow what the word of God says. We don't follow what man interprets God's word to be. We don't follow what man says about God. We follow what God's word says about his word. We follow what the Holy Spirit says about his word. Now, in America, we have our presidential election coming up this week. And before a presidential election, we always have the two presidential candidates, right? They come together and they debate each other. And they give their different policies or different ideas. But at every single debate, there should always be a fact checker there, right? And there should always be a person there who checks what the candidates are saying to make sure it's a fact and not not a lie to throw the other candidate under the bus, right? And unfortunately, most of the time, they are lies, <laughs> right? But there's always people there fact-checking them and making sure what they say is true. And you know what? We need to be the same way with, with when we hear teaching of God's Word. Well, someone said this, but does God's Word say this? we got to search God's Word. Bring it back to the Word of God. What does God's Word say about this matter? Right? We always have to bring it back to the Bible. But I really want you to notice that. They're following the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Not a man-made doctrine. Not a man-made movement. Bring it back to the word of God. We're called to the gospel of Jesus Christ, not to the gospel of man. (laughs) All right, let's look at the next signs here that we get to describe a healthy church. The next one is fellowship. Look what it says there, verse 42. They continued in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So fellowship is the meeting together of other believers, right? It's a time of encouraging one another, a time of lifting up one another, a time of listening to one another and dis- dis- discipling, right? Spending time with each other as one family in one body. Fellowship is so important. You know what? There's no lone wolves in Christianity. There's no lone wolves in the family of God, right? Many times, right, we can have this attitude that, oh, no one understands me at church, right? They're all so happy there. They all have those weird smiles on their face and I can't, I can't handle being around them. They're crazy. They're always so happy. They never have a problem in their lives, right? And we want to just keep to ourselves in isolation, and we want to forsake fellowship. It's a really dangerous place to be in. And I want you to notice the wording of this verse, because Luke is used to be a physician, right? The author of this book, he was a physician. He was very into details. And Luke gave us some explicit details in this verse. And they said that the church was doing this daily, daily having fellowship, They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to encouraging one another and lifting each other up. I think this is such a timely word and a relevant word for us, especially as we're in lockdown right now. You might be thinking, well, we can't fellowship, right? We can't meet in person. We can't fellowship with each other, but that's not true, right? We can come together online. We can call each other. We can text each other. We can pray for one another. But COVID is not an excuse for us to forsake fellowship and to forsake the building up of one another as the body of Christ. We cannot make excuses. We need to, we need to do it each and every day. We can't forsake fellowship. Let me tell you this. Isolation is the devil's playground. He loves when we're isolated. Because when we're isolated, right, we're left to ourselves. We don't have accountability. We don't have encouragement. And that's not to say that our faith is dependent on other people. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is it's important that we fellowship with each other. We come together as one church, as one family. Let's look at the next thing that Luke gives us here in this verse. He said they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. Right? 
This is, I love this one. This is, I just, I love this. They continued in the breaking of bread, and this is another sign of a healthy church. And yes, I believe this refers to two things. One is we have communion, right? It describes the act of communion. They were coming together, and they were taking the Lord's Supper with one another. They were sharing communion as one church, as one body. And we're going to observe this very thing today. Again, I mentioned it earlier. I'll mention it again. If you'd like to join us, we would love to have you. Please just message us for that Zoom link. But we're going to do the same thing today. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper. See, the act of taking communion is a proclamation. When we take communion, we proclaim that we're no longer slaves to our sin. We proclaim that Jesus Christ has power over our sin. He has power over the grave. And we have been freed from our sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, Paul said, As often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. When we partake in communion, we proclaim that we're no longer slaves to our sin. Again, we proclaim that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Savior. He died on the cross for my sin, and the blood of Jesus is enough for me. And if you're listening to this message today, and maybe you're not saved, or maybe you are saved and you've, you've backslidden, and you're wondering, can God really forgive me? I don't think the Lord can handle what I've done. I want to encourage you with this. The blood of Jesus is enough to cover all of our sin. It's enough to offer us everlasting life. And communion, when we observe this, we're coming together and we're saying, I belong to Jesus. I don't belong to this world anymore. Right? Now, I will say this. Communion is an amazing act. But communion is exclusive to the believer in Jesus Christ. Communion is not something for an unbeliever. Right? You're not going to proclaim that Christ's death is what saved you when you're not saved. This is a serious matter. Communion is a very serious thing. And as we observe it later today, you know, I just encourage you, get your heart right. Because coming before the Lord in communion and coming together as a church to partake in this and observe this, it's a serious thing. We shouldn't tread lightly on this. But it's something the believers did daily, and I love that because each and every day they proclaimed that they were no longer slaves to their sin. And I wonder, I asked myself as I was reading this, as I was studying this, I just felt the Spirit just put on my heart, well, Christian, are you proclaiming that you're no longer a slave to sin each and every day? Do you walk in the freedom that Jesus has offered you? Or are you still living like you're in bondage? You still live weighed under the, the weight of your sin. You still walk around as if you're still chained to your sin. When Jesus Christ has set you free. The part of being free is staying free. Right? And as Jesus has saved us from our sins, the death of Jesus is enough to free us. And we need to walk in that freedom each and every day. And when we partake in communion, when we remember and observe the Lord's death and the Lord's resurrection, we remember what Jesus did for us. I hope that encourages us. It's an encouraging topic for sure. Now, the other thing I believe this verse is talking about is they just went to each other's houses and they were breaking bread, right? They were sharing meals with each other. And I love this because if you, you got to understand the Jewish culture, eating bread together in a Jewish home was a very important thing. It's a very intimate and very personal thing. Because as they ate of the same loaf of bread, it represented unity. Let me give you an example. If we were sharing a loaf of bread and I ate from that loaf of bread and I was full and then you ate from that loaf of bread, we suddenly become one. The same loaf of bread that sustains me is now sustaining you. And it was, it was a very important thing in Jewish culture. And I love this because we, in an earlier context, there was a lot of people there from different countries, right? It wasn't just Jews. And they're all coming together and they're all sharing meals together and they're just representing unity. Unity within the body of Christ. I love that. What an important topic for all of us as a church. We are one body and one family in Jesus. 
I think it's so common now, and it's it's sad, right? But I think it's so common that we see so many cliques and so many subgroups in churches. We act like we're part of a, a different family and a different body, right? We act like our brothers and sisters are our cousins or our distant relatives, but we're all brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, right? We're one body, and we need to promote that unity. We need to promote the fact that Christ has brought us all together as one, and we are united, not under our skin color, we're, we're not united under our denomination or our creed. We're united under Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ didn't just die for Jews. He didn't just die for Americans. He didn't just die for Burmese people. He died for all of us. He bring us all together as one body. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I love that. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So many times... The church just doesn't dwell in the unity that we should, right? Paul gave us a great warning in Galatians 5. We're not going to turn there, but he said, be careful, be careful as a church that you don't bite and devour one another, right? We shouldn't meet up to fight and to argue with each other. We shouldn't, we shouldn't have so much backlash against one another, right? Because of our skin color, because of our political view, whatever. You know, I can't speak for here, but I can speak for America, and I can see a big division in the church because of politics, you can see a big division of church in the church because of differing opinion. That's not even a differing opinion about the Bible, right? Just about life, about raising kids differently, about politics. And because of this, there's so much division in the church. You know, the Bible says where self-seeking and envy exist, there's every evil thing there. And when we allow self-seeking, we allow pride, and we allow division in the church, we are opening ourselves up as a church to demonic influence. We're opening ourselves up to a church to the devil. This is so important, right? Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Satan cannot defeat the church. He can't. Satan's already defeated foe. So how does Satan attack? He tries to get on the inside, right? He tries to get us in our weak spots individually. And so that we can be divided as a church. He attacks it from the inside. He attacks it from false teaching. He attacks it through lack of fellowship. He attacks it through temptations in our hearts. We have to guard ourselves. And we cannot promote division within the church. We cannot promote division in the body of Christ. That's not to say we should allow false teaching. If you're in a place with false teaching, I encourage you to withdraw from there and run as fast as you can, right? But we cannot promote division within the church. So let's look at the next sign of a healthy church listed here in verse 42. It's prayer. Right? It's prayer. What a big one here. And prayer is us talking to the Lord. When we pray, we are responding to the Lord. And prayer is so important, you know, as an individual believer and as a church. But it's like this. In any relationship you're ever in, one of the most important aspects of any relationship is communication. Right? If I'm in a relationship with someone and I never talk to them, if I never communicate to them, you could really question if that's a good relationship. And if you guessed it's not, that was a correct guess. It's not a good relationship, right? Need to communicate. I have to talk. I have to talk to whoever I'm in a relationship with. And you know what? That applies even more so to us as believers in Jesus Christ. In our relationship with Jesus, we have to communicate with Him. We have to pray to Him. It's so important. So, you know, prayer, praying for one another is the single greatest thing we can ever do for one another. So many times we just want to help our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And we think of ways, well, how can I help them? 
Well, praying for them is a great start. That's the greatest thing that we can ever do for one another is lift each other up every day. Because you know what? I don't know what my brothers and sisters go through each and every day, but we're all in different areas and different seasons of our life. And maybe I'm not struggling with a particular sin in my life, but my brother is. I got to be lifting him up. Maybe my, my sister in the Lord, right, is on the front lines every day trying to share Jesus. I got to lift her up. We got to lift one another up as one family and one body. It's so important that we're united under prayer. There is so much power in prayer. And you know, as a church, we expect change, right? We want to see change. We want to see revival. And, you know, it's just so common today. We think, okay, well, if change is going to happen, I need this, I need this candidate to get elected. <sighs> right? Or, oh, oh, if there's going to be change, I just, I just need them to stop acting the way they act. Right? That's how we can act so many times. But you know what? If you want to see change and you want to see growth in the body of Christ, it starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. There's a verse so commonly quoted in the Old Testament. And the Lord said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. I want you to notice the Lord didn't say, If those who are wicked turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. He didn't say, If those who are persecuting you stop persecuting you, I will heal your land. He said, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and they pray, I'll heal their land. We want to see revival. It has to start with prayer. We want to see healing. It has to start with prayer. If we want to see an amazing moving of God's spirit and growth in the church, it starts with prayer. And unfortunately, so many churches and ministries today have become advertisement for politics instead of a place of prayer. You know, Jesus, a great story. One of my favorite stories of Jesus' earthly ministry is when he goes into the temple, right? And everyone sees Jesus and they're like, oh yeah, he's so nice, right? And then Jesus is just like, you selling, you selling this stuff in my father's house? No. Right? And he lets all the doves go. He overturns the money tables and I'm not making this up. He even made a, a cord of whips, right? A whip, and he whipped the people out of the temple. And he said, this is my father's house. You've made it a den of thieves, but my house is called to be a house of prayer for all nations. Right? The church of Jesus Christ is not a market. It's not an advertisement. It should be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's the intention of God's church. That's what Jesus taught. And if you're in a church or ministry that has no prayer, that church is not only sick, that church is dying. Right? Prayer is so important. Jesus said his house was called to be a house of prayer for all nations. Prayer is so key. So as I was reading about this, the Holy Spirit just convicted my heart. I had to ask myself the question, am I constantly in prayer? We're told in God's word to pray without ceasing, right? If we're inactive in prayer, it's a good sign we're going inactive in our faith, right? Maybe we're not quite there yet, but we're slowly just walking away from the things of God. It's so important that we, we pray each and every day. If we don't have prayer, if we're not communicating with our God, our relationship with him is out of tune. The future of the church is not hinged on politics. The future of the church is not hinged on, on other people. It's not hinged on on who teaches or who preaches. It's not hinged on how many people are in the church. The, the, the house of God, the church, is hinged on prayer. All the great revivals, if you study them over time, they were all started with a group of people who just came together as God's church and prayed. What a message for all of us. God's bride, His church, His body, is called to be a house of prayer. Now, as we read about these signs, right, these four specific signs, and I'll go over them one more time real quick before we move on to the next verse. First sign was continuing steadfastly in the Word of God, right? Number two was fellowship. Number three 
right? It was the breaking of bread. It was communion, promoting unity in the church. And number four is prayer, right? Now, if we're not seeing these signs in our lives, if we're not seeing these signs in the church, we, we, need, we need to, right? We should be seeing these signs. If we're not seeing them, it's a good sign that we're unhealthy spiritually. And if we're unhealthy spiritually, what do we need to do? We need to get healthy. And here's the great part. We serve a God of restoration, and we serve a God who is able to restore us. We serve a God who is able to restore a church, a ministry. All we have to do is humble ourselves and go to him. Let's look at verses 43 through 45. It says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So first things first, in verse 43, it says, Fear came upon every soul, fell on all the people. And why was this fear falling on them? Because the power and the working of God was clearly seen in the church. Here's another great sign of a healthy church. The fear of God in awe of who he is. To fear God and to have awe of him is to have reverence. It's to have respect. Just like I have respect for my earthly father, right? I have a fear of my earthly father. I do. But it's not a fear that I'm like really scared of him and I don't want to go near him, right? I don't look at my father like I would a ghost. But the fear that I have for my earthly father is one out of reverence and respect. I don't want to let him down. I want to respect him, right? I want to revere him. And we should have that same relationship because guess what? God is our heavenly father. And if we're not having that fear of God, it's a good sign that we're not on a path to obedience. Because why would we obey someone we don't respect, right? A fear of the Lord is so key. Fearing the Lord means we are in awe of who He is. We're honoring Him and we're seeing God for who He is, who He was and who He is and who He always will be. There's a lot of sin in the heart of a person who doesn't fear God, right? There's a sinful lifestyle in the heart of the person who doesn't fear God. We need to have this fear. We need to respect and revere the Lord. So many Christians today can lack this, right? We can see this really absent from so many. They profane God's name. They partake in sinful activities, right? Stub their toe and they're like, oh my God. And then they're like, oh, well, it doesn't mean anything. I didn't mean anything by it. Right? Well, you just used the Lord's name in vain. You brought God's name down to express your disgust. You did. You sinned, right? But we lose that respect and that fear of God. And we start to believe what other people say about sin, what the world says about sin. That's not too bad. It's not going to hurt my relationship with Jesus, right? We, we, we come up with this term a lot. It's in America. I don't know if it's relevant here. I'm sure it is. But we have these, these gray areas, right? We're like, well, the Bible's not really specific on that. You know, Jesus didn't directly call that out. But Jesus did say, you're for me or against me. And to me, that seems pretty clear. <laughs> right? We choose to live for Jesus or we choose a sinful life. But if we don't have that fear of God, if we don't have that respect, chances are we're not going to have an obedient lifestyle. So important. It's so important. Now, the next thing here, verse 44, describes the believers had all things in common. Again, this describes the body of Christ coming together as one body. They shared the same principle that they were sinners who needed a Savior. That they were sinners who were been reconciled and saved by the blood of Jesus. I love that. Again, they didn't let nationality or language or skin tone separate them. They didn't divide them. They came together as one body, as one church. And they had all things in common with one another. 
They were heavenly-minded people. And you know, as we go over this, don't get the impression that this church was perfect, right? Sure, this church had flaws, just like we have flaws today. But you know what? They, their heart was right. This was a daily lifestyle for them. They were all on the same page. They were all in tune with the Spirit of God. They were all excited and wanted more of Jesus. And I wonder if we look like that today as a church and as an individual Christian. Someone who's hungry and thirsty, not for sin, not for selfish gain, not for materialism, but for more of Jesus. Now, I love this. One of the ways that they that they promoted this unity was they provided for one another, right? Look what it says in verse 45. It says they sold their possessions and their goods and they divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, when you read this, you might be thinking, well, God is telling all of us to sell everything we own and to go live, right? Poor. <laughs> to give everything that we own to other people. But you know what? I don't believe that's what, I don't think that's what's being taught here, right? God calls us to do different things, right? He calls me to do something maybe he's not calling you to do because he looks at our hearts and he knows just what we need. But you got to understand the context of this verse. Why were they selling all their goods and their possessions? Because people had need. Right? They saw the need within the church and they were willing to meet that need even if it meant giving up what they owned. Because they weren't self-centered people. They loved each other. It was one family. Just like in my family, right? I have four sisters and one brother. And you know what? If they ever needed anything, I'm never going to hesitate. Right? If they have a need and I need to maybe sell stuff that I own, guess what? I'm going to do it. I may not want to. I might not like it. But I'm going to do it because they're my family. Right? I care about them. Well, what about us as a family of Jesus Christ? What about us as a church? That's what this early church was doing. Right? They were meeting each other's needs. They were caring for one another. So I believe the application in this verse is not going and selling everything you own. I think the application in this verse is look for the need within the church. Look for the need within your brothers and sisters and be willing to meet that need as this early church was. Right? Or one body in Christ. Now, my church in America, I just, I love my church in America, right? My church family, because they were just so gracious to me. I worked a full-time job. I lived over an hour away from my work, and I worked all week. And so many people, people I never even met in my church, came up to me, and they're like, hey, you need a place to stay this week so you don't have to drive back home and work? Hey, you need money for gas? Hey, you need a, you're a single guy, you want some food to eat? (laughs) Right? They were always so gracious to me. And they're always there to meet my need. And you know what? That is what the church of Jesus Christ should be. We need to look for one another's needs. And we need to help each other. And another great way of helping one another is not causing each other to stumble. Right? If I know something that bothers you, I shouldn't do that. Right? I shouldn't upset my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's about unity. Let's look at the last two verses here. Verses 46 through 47. It says, so, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, I want to draw your attention first to the word daily. Again, again, the early church wasn't perfect, right? But it was operating in a healthy manner. The signs that we discussed earlier in verses 42 and 43 and 44 and 45, right? All these signs of a healthy church, they were doing this daily. They weren't doing this when they felt like it. They weren't doing it when it was convenient. They were doing it daily. And you know what? If we're going to wait to serve Jesus till it's convenient for us, we're never going to do it. Most likely, right? Most likely, 
Sometimes it's never convenient for us. But we need to do it daily. We need to draw the line and we need to truly, we need to truly evaluate ourselves. Is Jesus Lord of my life or is he not? And that's what this church did. And they did this daily. It was a daily occurrence and a daily practice from them. Again, faith in the Lord is not a, it's not a job, right? It's not a job where I got to put my, my work uniform on, right? And then when church is over, when I'm done, I'm like, all right, see you later, Jesus. I'm going to go put my world clothes back on. I'm going to go out and sin. See you next Sunday, Jesus. And you come back on Sunday and everyone sees you and they're like, oh, hey. And you're just like, Jesus, yeah. And you go out into the world and you sin again, right? That's not what a daily lifestyle of of the faith is. A daily lifestyle is partaking in these signs and truly seeking to live like Jesus as this church was. We're not called to be Christians who live for Christ on Sunday and then live like a child of the devil every other day of the week. It's a little much, right? But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to be like Jesus. It's a great quote. It's, I don't even know who quoted it, but I know it's quoted by so many people. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, right? I love that. He's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. No middle fence. You choose one or the other. Jesus of the world. Next thing I want to draw your attention to is they ate their food with simplicity and gladness. In other words, they were content and thankful for what they had. They didn't complain for what they didn't have. They weren't envious of other people who had more than they did. I'll tell you, I struggle with this. I'll be the first to admit that. I struggle with contentment. And a sign of a healthy walk in Jesus Christ, a sign of a healthy church is being content with what God has given you. It's being content with what God is calling you to do. And you know what? Maybe you're discontent in your calling. Right? Again, maybe the calling of God is not the most comfortable thing in your life. But you know what? Don't walk away from it. Continue in it. We gotta be content in it. The Apostle Paul, what a great man of faith he was, and you know what? I love reading about Paul, but also at the same time I get so convicted when I read about him. Because Paul had everything, right? He used to be a Pharisee. He had wealth, he had education, he had a good social level, right? He had many friends, he had respect. And then he came to know Jesus, and he got blinded, and then he got his sight back, and then he got stoned, and then he got beat, and then he got shipwrecked, and then he got whipped, right? And he got bit by a snake. He was malnourished. Then he was in prison. And then he was out of prison. Then he was back in prison. Then he was out of prison. Then he was back in prison. And he died for Jesus. <laughs> right? Not the most glamorous lifestyle for Paul. But you know what Paul said in Philippians? He said, you know what? I've learned to be hungry. I've learned how to be full. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. But you know what? No matter what, I'm content. And that's, that's what the early church had. They were content with what they had. And that's a message for all of us to be content with what God is doing in our lives. Because guess what? God is good. God is so good to us. He's so gracious. And he knows just what we need. The next thing here, the church had favor with all people. Their faith is not merely an outward profession of their lips. It was a change in their heart. And you know what? Even the unbelievers were attracted to it. Because anytime you live a life for Jesus, yes, you're going to upset a few people, but guess what? You're really going to attract other people to Jesus as well. That's a great responsibility there with that because what kind of an example are we setting? Are we living like Jesus or not? But the people were so attracted to the lifestyle of the church. They were so attracted to the unity that they promoted. They were so attracted to the love for Jesus that they had. They were attracted to the fact that the church was not going to compromise their faith. They weren't going to compromise their morals. They were attracted by the love that they had for Jesus and the love they had for all people. Love's the trademark as a Christian for us. If we don't have love... We don't have anything to offer. 
Right? There's nothing worse than meeting a person who is so hateful and so bitter. Someone who has no love in their heart, especially when it's a Christian. Right? As Christians, we need to have love in our hearts. Love's a trademark of our faith. Jesus said, You're, you will be known as my disciples, not by your political view, not by how you dress, not by a creed you come up with, not by the songs you sing. You'll be known as my disciples by your love. And in order to love others, we gotta first love Jesus. Cause I'll tell you something, I cannot love others. I can't. If I don't first love Jesus, I'm not capable of doing it on my own. Finally, the last thing here, look at the end of verse 47. It says, the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. And you know what? I want to wrap it up with this because the Lord blessed the church and it grew. Because as the church was depending upon the Holy Spirit, as the church was living out a godly lifestyle, as they were seeking to glorify Jesus in everything they did, God blessed it. As they were coming together and encouraging one another, as they were coming together and remembering what Jesus did for them, as they came together and prayed, as they were content with what God had given them, God blessed it. And He added people to the church. So again, I'll say, as I said earlier, growth will always follow dependence on God's Holy Spirit. So just to conclude here, as we wrapped up the second chapter of Acts, we looked at the signs that make up a healthy church. We looked at what the early church's response was to the gospel and how they lived it out each and every day. The signs we studied included continuing in God's word. Not in man's word, not in man's creed, not in man's doctrine, but in God's word. The second one was communion, unity, fellowship, prayer, the fear of God, helping one another, loving God and loving those in this world. Not loving the world, not loving sin, not loving the things of the world, but loving the people in the world, right? And finally, having contentment for what God has given us and what God has called us to do. If a church lacks these traits, that church is unhealthy and it needs restoration. If we lack it as an individual Christian, same thing. We need restoration. But again, here's the great part. We serve a God of restoration. We serve a God of second chances. And maybe Jesus has not been your all in all. Maybe he's not been what's given you contentment lately. And I want to encourage you with this. It's not too late. If you're listening to this, if you're breathing right now, it's not too late for you. Praise God for that. But don't put it off, right? Let's not put it off. He wants to restore us. Finally, we must truly work hard to function and operate as one body and one church in Jesus Christ. But again, we can't give what we don't have. It starts with us individually cultivating and nourishing our relationship with Jesus each and every day. If our heart's not right with God, now's the time to do it. We're going to share in communion here in a few minutes. Before we do, that's a great time of evaluation. Ask God to search your heart out. If there's sin in your life that you need to repent of, now's a great time to do it. Repent of that sin. And let's share in all that God has done for us. So let's pray and then we'll do a little bit more worship. Father God, I just thank you so much for this time that you've given us to come together as your church to study this word in Acts. As we looked up what makes a healthy church, Father, what makes a healthy lifestyle for you. I pray, Lord, that we would just be faithful and obedient in living out this message, Lord, this gospel each and every day. Father, I just pray you take us out of the picture. Take us out of the equation. May we decrease and may you increase. As a church, Lord, as individuals, I pray that you just be exalted in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.